When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Tobin Tonight, uh, Paul. Uh, how's it going? Fantastic, thanks. So, of course, you heard a couple of episodes. That's how we got you to, to come on board. And, of course, you know, I'm a little bit uh, sad because I guess you thought you were going to have Brian Tobin, the ex-premier of Newfoundland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy just to speak with you, All honest. Right. I want to start off with, of course, where you were born. You were born in Toronto, the big city. What was life growing up like uh, back then? I'm from the tail end of the baby boom, and I was born in downtown Toronto, but basically I grew up in the suburbs when they were, you know, building houses as fast as they could and laying down the sod, and, and you know, we had portable classrooms in the schools as the sort of population was exploding, and it was, I, I like, you know, ultimately by the time I got to high school, I kind of thought we were kind of grunge and slackers before those terms existed. We just kind of did our thing and had a blast, uh, so it was, it was a good time. Downtown Toronto, to me, growing up in the suburbs was a scary place, and you'd, you'd go down there, you'd take your, put your life in your hands, uh, but we'd go down often to, you know, to buy records or look around and stuff, but it was, I had a great time growing up in North York. Where did you get your interest in journalism or broadcasting? Like, was it just at a young age to develop over time? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, again, going back to the 60s, I, I, my real dream was to be an astronaut, but I kind of thought I was going to be too tall for that. You, know, you always heard that you had to be a smallish person to fit inside those capsules. So I don't, I don't know. I always wondered, what, did, what do you want to be when you grew up? I always liked telling stories. My dad was in advertising, which is a different kind of communications, obviously. And then a friend of mine at high school walks up to me one day and he says, hey, do you want to help me start a school paper? And I thought, yeah, sure. And so we did that, and I kind of loved it. And it's, it's not much to connect the dots from then on. That, that made me apply to... Ryerson for the journalism program, and I got in. And at that point, I kind of thought, well, you know, it's interesting. And then the, the moment that kind of changed everything for me was when a couple of third-year students walked into our first-year class and said, who wants to volunteer for the radio station? And I put my hand up because I thought it sounded fun. And I went, and I loved it. It was like the immediacy of broadcasting to me was fantastic. And then it's a half step over to TV, which was all the more fantastic. And I knew at that moment, the first time I went out and did a TV story at Ryerson for the school kind of TV show, I, I've never looked back. I love it. I loved it then, and I love it now. And that's, that's the short answer to how I got into this. Now, I, I might be a little bit playing, or playing a little bit of favoritism here in Ottawa. We have a school for journalism, too. It's called Carlton. Uh, why didn't you choose Carlton? What made you choose Ryerson? Was it just, you know, the safety of being home? Well, you know, another good question. Indeed, I applied and I was accepted to Carlton. I think, I don't know what it's like now, but at the time you could sort of apply to 
I think three universities or something, and and so I I got accepted to Carleton, I got accepted to U of T, and I got accepted to Ryerson, and. You know, I'm not going to kid you. A factor was I was already living in Toronto. I could continue to live at home. So there was an affordability aspect. And what also attracted me to Ryerson, and this is, this is no knock on any other school. Everybody has their own positives and negatives. What I liked about Ryerson was the hands-on aspect, that you went out and you did it, was the, was the reputation of Ryerson then and I think now. And you learn the practical aspects of what you're going to be doing if you end up in this field. Many of my friends are Carleton grads, and Carleton is a fantastic school. I've been there. I've given talks there. Love it. It's just a different approach. And at that time, for me, Ryerson worked. And I don't regret it. I mean, when I got in, you know, when I, you know, I remember when I got my first real job at a place called CKNX in Wingham, Ontario, a tiny little town north of London. And CKNX was basically like sort of like WKRP in Cincinnati, you, you do everything, right? It's, it's a classic, perfect first job. You will be a camera person. You will be a tape editor. You will be a reporter. You will be an anchor. You will be a lineup editor assignment. You'll do everything, right? But I walked in the door, and I thought, I know how to do this, because I've been doing it for three years at Ryerson, so I wasn't freaked out by, by anything. I could just focus on trying to do my job well. So I was grateful for having gone through Ryerson, you know, for that aspect. And uh, there goes all your Carlton speeches. They're just uh, they're, they're in the background right now going, listen, find the files, dump them. He's done. So I, I want to talk about that, actually. I was going to call it Wingham, uh, but uh, Wingham for sure. Uh, CKNX, that's your first job. You were, were a local reporter and anchor for both TV and radio, and you just talked about how they made you be, do pretty much everything. Like, when they threw you in that role, I know you just said that at Ryerson you've been doing it, but did you ever kind of get scared or nervous that, okay, if I mess up, I'm, I'm done, this is it, it's over? 100%. Uh, like, absolutely. And to be honest about it, I, I still feel that way. <laughs> I mean, like, you, you can spend a lifetime building up a, a reputation and you can lose it in an instant. I mean, you, you've got to be – there's a variety of aspects to this job, if you ask me. And, and one of them is to be worried about that kind of stuff. You have to be right. You've got to be fair and balanced. You've got to be objective. All these things come into play every single day. And if you mess up, man, what are you doing in that job, right? Like, it, like you have to get it right. And so you walk in on the first day of your first job and you feel that, and you walk into the Washington Bureau here today and you've got to cover Donald Trump. And you, it's an equal, different level. But the pressure is still there. And, you know, I don't know if you're afraid of it, but you're aware of it. And it drives you to be as good as you possibly can. There are other aspects. For example, you've got to change with the times for storytelling. You've got to be cognizant of if 20 years ago a 20-second a, a clip worked in a piece, now it's 10 seconds, let's say. I mean, you've got to move with the times. You've got to, you've got to be creative and better in your storytelling, in your pictures, in every aspect of what you do every single day. You're, you know, cliche alert here, but you're as good as your last at bat, right? You've got to get up to the plate again the next day and do it better than you did yesterday. And you've still got to get everything right, and you've got to find the right people. All these things come into play. So, in, you know, when you, when you take a step back and look at it, it is sort of terrifying, right? If you, I believe if you love it, you dive in and you push yourself to, to get better all the time. And I think that's what people who have survived a long time in this industry, I think, 
have aspects of that, and they push themselves, and they are afraid of messing up, and so they make sure that they don't. To me, that answer right there should be in the beginning of like a motivational uh, music video. You know, you got like the, the the rap music just building up in the back, and like you know, like it's almost like if you ever seen like a, a fight video when they're just listening, to, like you know, I got to give it my last punch, and they're just like working out. That's what I feel like you writing like in your notepad and listening to that in the background, like you know, like make sure your first time is like your last time. And, I, and I'm writing it down, going like, yes, yes, let's do this. Uh, no, it's awesome. Uh, so of course you've been with CBC a long time. Time, my friend you went right from you know cbc saskatoon in 1985 as a local tv reporter and i i guess you know they like you because they they've kept you around for all this time well are you saying i'm old i think yes. you are no 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 don't hang up on me don't hang up on me, Look, uh, let me no. you know, while i'm while i'm while i'm on my little soapbox here i'll say another thing that i think is important for young journalists and you know you say you, you ask me about growing up in toronto right and toronto is the media center of the country, blah, blah. And there's a real, and there's lots of jobs there. And so I think, you know, there's a real temptation to go to Toronto and stay in Toronto and work in Toronto and always be in Toronto because there are jobs and and all that, you know, opportunities, blah, blah. My view is, you know, get out of Toronto, go to Wingham, go work in Saskatoon, work as, as I have, my past is, has Calgary, like get away from your comfort zone, right? Go learn about people in other parts of the country. Go live in a small town. Go live in a medium-sized town. Live in a big city. Understand the country. If I believe that if you, not to sound preachy here, but if you have aspirations to, uh, at a network or national level, be telling stories to Canadians from coast to coast, my God, you should know who those Canadians are. You should know what it's like to spend some time on the East Coast and the West Coast and in the North. Easier said than done. You can't necessarily force your path, but you should at least try. Like, get out there, understand the place, and then I think that kind of gives you not only the ability to understand issues in different parts of the country for wheat farmers in the prairies or, or you know, pick your pick your part of the country. Or but it fisher- sort of gives you the fishermen right. in Newfoundland. Fish, fishers in New- Exactly. All that kind of stuff. It gives you the right to talk to people if you've spent some time there. And you can't always live in every, you can't live in every province for sure. But open your mind. And the best way to do that is early in your career, get out of your hometown, go live somewhere else and, and do the work. I like that you mentioned that you can't report in like every province because I, I'm not going to nitpick at you or anything. But this is my uh, this is my WrestleMania kind of entrance for you. He's reported from ten provinces, two territories, and more than thirty U.S. states and thirty some countries. So like you know, you, I, I get what you're saying, but like to to me, of course, you went from small and then you got larger and larger. But like if I'm looking at, and I'll give a shout out to uh, my dad who also listens here, who also likes your work. When I come home in the summer and my dad watches the national, he turns over hockey. It drives me crazy when he does it. But uh, when he does it, he'll say, "Look at our or look at Adrian, look at Ian, look at Paul. They've all started somewhere small, and now look where they're to." But he said, "At least people can relate to them because they didn't just." start in Toronto like they went smaller and then grew bigger so I think that's uh, that's a good point that you made good I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> that, that your dad I guess recognizes that because I, I do think it's important and I and I'm glad that other people find value in the same thing and and a, another key 
element in the equation is respect for the people that you meet. Whether you're on a monster-sized farm in Saskatchewan or at the fishery or in a mountain or wherever or, or at, at King and Bay streets in Toronto, respect the people you meet. And when you tell their stories, make that respect front and center. The, the people that you meet, what, you want, what we want are, are little bits of, of their souls, in a sense. Like, we want to tell your story. We want you to be honest and open with us. And the quid pro quo is, I will be respectful of your story and tell it in a way that, that is true to the essence of you. I think if you make that a part of all your reporting and all your journalism, that that comes through in your stories as well. And that people will say when Adrian shows up, and, and if they've seen her work, or Ian or anybody, they treat people with respect, and so therefore I will talk to them. You know, it's funny working in America. There's, you know, they talk about the First Amendment and the, and the you know, the freedom of opinion and speech and all that kind of stuff, and there's a real willingness for people here to engage with journalists in a way that I think is, it's quite remarkable, and it's quite a fantastic and amazing aspect of Americans. But they, they want to give themselves to you in a sense. They want to be like open and honest with their story. Now, I, I kind of want to get back into your career a bit, but going off that point, I'm going to try to tie two things into one here, see how well I can do this. But, you know, 2008, you became the CBC Washington reporter. And it, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that with the States because, you know, I, I find that in the States, when they come to a reporter like you, we understand what the media thinks maybe the States with Donald Trump. And when they come and talk to you, it's kind of like them saying, here's our voice. Here's the side that you don't see. And then, like you said, it's trying to make sure that you illustrate that to the best possibility or the best you know, outcome that you can. Let's talk about how you got that uh, Washington gig first. Well, that's a, uh, you know, I got asked. <laughs> <laughs> Like any industry, you aspire to bigger places as you, quote-unquote, move along the ladder or up the ladder or whatever. Uh, I had spent, before coming to Washington, several years in Ottawa uh, covering politics, uh, and I had made it clear, having worked mostly in Canada throughout my time, that I had aspirations to work outside the country. And I'd spent some time in the Middle East, sort of uh, on in short-term basis, and, and I'd spent some time in London, but it was uh, kind of left the CBC for a year to do that, partly to show my bosses that I want to work in, in a foreign bureau. And then an opportunity came up in Washington, and I got lucky enough to be asked to come. And I took me about one nanosecond to say yes. And uh, next thing you know, I was driving down here. I got here two days before Barack Obama uh, was elected, election night 2008. And I have, I've loved it. I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been a crazy time. If you, if you think about it, you, you, it began with the sort of historic nature of the Obama presidency and the intense interest in that. And now <laughs> it's sort of the intensity on steroids with Donald Trump, like a relentless. Somebody was saying the other day, uh, this, isn't, this isn't my thought, but I think it's apt, that covering Donald Trump is like trying to take a drink of water from a fire hose. There was just so much news coming out every single day. My real fear is that you don't do it justice, that you... You miss things because there is so much stuff. And being president of the United States and covering the White House, all of it is important, but there's only so much 
time to do it. That's my that, that's actually my concern. In the, I'm not so much worried about fake news and all that kind of stuff. I am worried about us missing things because there's just so much volume with this guy. And it's interesting to mention that because I I, I just want to branch off a little bit off that is you know I. I watch John Oliver like every every week that he's on every Sunday and like you know he tries his best to stay on a topic like this last week's topic was the NRA it's just really hard for him and other late night comedians as well and even talk show hosts in um, or talk show hosts in the states to to not you know dissect things that Trump says so I mean when you're covering Trump are you kind of like in the room thinking like oh this is a great sound bit or are you thinking like uh, how do how do I make this sound not worse than what it already sounds like? Well, that that's yet another good question. There are practical aspects to the job. You know, you need to put a story together at the end of the day. So you are constantly from the from when you know from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, you're thinking, you're kind of shaping the story in your head, uh, looking for the the best sound and and images to to convey the story. Right. So so that's on a micro level. On a macro level, I think the thing that is important, if not critical, to keep in mind is that it's easy, and this is where journalism is separate from the sort of late-night satirical chat shows, which are all amusing to watch and everything. But one thing to keep in mind here, yes, Hillary Clinton may have, you know, won the popular vote, etc., blah, blah. But you know what? 63 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. And they have an equal right to the presidency. They have an equal right to their view of how the country should be run. Their opinions matter. They're still out there. We tend to think it's easy to sort of, sort of, you know, point at the. Uh, I'm not here defending Donald Trump, but I'm, what I'm saying is it's it's easy to to make fun of or take a negative approach. But I think what's important, and we try to do this as often as we can, is get outside the beltway meet with people who have different opinions <laughs> and who can make the case as to why they they like Donald Trump. It's as counterintuitive as that may seem to a lot of people. There are a variety of perspectives here. And again, back to the great thing about America, people are more than happy to express them. So come on, talk to me, interview me. My opinion matters too. And so we try to to balance all of our coverage with that in mind to say, you know, there's another way of looking at this. That's not to say that uh, a news piece won't come across as, you know, raising critical questions about some of the decisions and, and choices that Donald Trump makes. But I think it's, as I say, critical to keep in mind there is another perspective on it held by millions of Americans. That's a really good answer. I, th- I think you got notes written up. I think someone gave you a few questions beforehand, give you tips. The the other thing, and again, I'll say this just so it wasn't confused, is I wasn't comparing, like, just say what you guys do to John Oliver in a way, but I, I just thought it was interesting to bring up because when we interviewed Wendy Mesley, she said that one of the best journalists that she found in the States was John Oliver. And I thought that was interesting because when you ask John Oliver, John Stewart, or Colbert, or Conan, do you call them journalists? They say, no, we're comedians, but we just, and I, I just thought that was very interesting that she kind of said that. Uh, I mean, they do have the freedom to express their opinion, and that can be very entertaining, or, or not, maybe opinion isn't the right way to put it, but their perspective. But, I, I, you know, I'm just a believer that as a, as a frontline news journalist, 
that's not my job. My job is to tell you what happened today, and in as fair and balanced, to use that expression, way possible, uh, keeping in mind the, the various sides to any story. And that applies whether it's a political story, uh, uh, like war zones, natural disasters, economics, healthcare, anything. The role of a journalist is to balance all of it and to tell it in as fair a way as possible, keeping in mind the perspectives of all sides. And I just, you know, you, you, you joke about reading from notes, but it's, it, it's easy to, to talk about this because I, I believe it so strongly. It's what our job is. We all have, for example, biases, right? But I have personally held uh, views but that's not my that that's separate from my job and i find nothing i hope this doesn't sound trite but i find it easy to set aside my own views because i'm doing my job now and my job is to to meet and represent and reflect all views and i uh, you know back to bringing it full circle when i come into the office every morning it's on my you know this is what i set out to do and it's it's important the, the way I look at that, the way you, you answered it, is like, you know, you're in a position of power as a journalist, but at the same time is you're coming in with an open mind, which is good, rather than you basically shutting down a whole group of people or a whole idea, and exactly. then that never gets told. Yeah. I mean, you see how it's all interwoven, too. Not to get too analytical about it, but when, when I talk earlier about spending time in, living in, meeting people from different parts of the country, that's all a part of the same thing, because you're you learn that people in... The West have a slightly different perspective on the way things should be run than people living in the North or people living in the big cities. And all of this kind of informs you as a journalist because you come to kind of understand that there are myriad perspectives. It sort of shapes who you are as a journalist, especially as, as, as you walk into work every day and you think, my story will be seen tonight by people in Wingham and people in Saskatoon and people in Calgary and people in Ottawa and people in downtown Toronto. And, and I have to be fair to all of those people. In the same way, when you talk about Trump, you have to be mindful that there are all kinds of people in this country who think... Like he's doing a bang on job, and it's like so. Try to understand that. Let's try to explain that. Let's try to explore that a little bit. Even now, guns, for example, here's a topical thing these days, right? And we're going to have a march on Washington for people who you know want tougher gun laws uh, for a variety of really powerful and persuasive reasons. But likewise, there are lots of people who have a completely opposite view. I mean, that's what makes the world so interesting, isn't it? And so I think part of our job is to explore all those various perspectives, not to simply do pieces about let's get rid of guns. But let's hear also from people who say, well, here's why what we think about the opposite perspective. I, I find that that's what we're here for. And that's what I, again, what I think we try to set out to do every day. The one thing you were talking about, guns, I mean, you covered a lot of assignments that, you know, involved guns. Like, you know, you had the, the New, Newtown Massacre, the, the one with the, the, the Texas Church Massacre, and I think Sandy Hook as well. Uh, like, what is the scene or what, what goes through your mind when you're going to these places knowing that, you know, a shooting just occurred and sometimes it could be children that got involved in this as well? Oh, you know, that's, uh, it's... It's a funny one, you know, like like you 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 get in this business, I, I suppose, partly because it it presents a fantastic 
personal opportunity to see for yourself big events around the world. It's, it's a great personal benefit. But you're right. The old cliche about you don't do stories about planes that land safely, you do them when they crash. And you end up at places like Newtown or Boston after the bombings, uh, or, or as I was saying, you know, natural disasters in Haiti or wherever. And it's sort of awful. Um, and it sort of is kind of emotionally eviscerating because it's so awful. And a, a couple of things come into play for me. One, you've got a job to do. So remember what I said about being respectful. And when you approach people who are in awful circumstances, to me, the number one thing you must remember is to be respectful. Ask people if they want to take part. Express your own sorrow for what has happened. Explain why. What I do is I often explain why it might be a good idea to talk to me and uh, so that I can put this story on the news tonight. But I will also say to people, maybe it's not a good idea. Um, here's why you shouldn't say yes to me, but you decide. Um, and I find that allows me to feel better about what I do because I've given... Anybody can convince somebody to go on TV, I suppose, but I, I, I just think that I can sleep better at night if I know that they really wanted to, especially when they're in a dire circumstance after uh, a shooting. We approached you know, people in Texas after that church massacre not long ago, and that was my approach every time. And do you want to and, or not? And it's okay not to. But it's hard. I mean, I've, I've cried three times, I think, in this job. I cried once in Haiti, once in Newtown, and I think once during the, the, the Paul Bernardo trial. Um, it, it, it can be, it's, it's a complicated endeavor. But at the same time, I mean, I, I have to say that I get, I walk away from stories such as those, often inspired by the people who are, that we meet, who are so resilient who come away from, let's say, a mass shooting, as, as was the case in Newtown, resolving to do something about it. They can't change what has happened, but they can maybe try to change the future. We did a piece the week of the Newtown massacre about a group of people in Newtown who we went to their very first meeting as they were forming a group to change gun laws. Easier said than done in this country. They've had some success in Connecticut, but they're still out there. They're still doing it. And I felt inspired by meeting those people, even as they were mourning along with their fellow, you know, their neighbors in Newtown, who had been eviscerated by what had happened. And yet, let's do something. And man, oh man, I walk away from that thinking, this, is, this country, this world is actually a pretty good place, if that can come from this. And so, you know, when you, when you do meet these people, as awful as it can be, I find that when you do your job, you're helping, you can help people move forward. And I, I take comfort in that. I look at it as like, you know, journalists kind of give you an inside of, you know, things that you might not see. And like the the example that I'm going to give in that kind of sense is the shooting that, I, that happened in Florida. And then the students basically took a stand and said, no, this, this, or it's, we're, this is enough. Like we've had enough. And I think they showed one student actually going up to, uh, I think it was Rubio and, you know, getting in his face and saying, will you not take NRA money? And I was thinking, 
the balls on that kid to number one step up to like one of the senators uh, and basically say come on I'm calling you out and I'm thinking the journalist is covering this and I'm interested to see what their take is on it because some journalists will take the side of the senator some will take the, the side of the kid it's it's a tough job when you really think about it but when you get in those situations like you said and you get enlightened inspired by the stories I mean I if I was in one of those situations I'd walk away yeah feeling a bit sad but if I was seeing the outcome of what the student was doing or the case in Haiti I'd say all right they're not just you know sitting down and taking it they're actually going to take a stand and that's a story in itself as well yeah you know I mean and one of the ways I see it is you know we live in democracies right and it's up to all of us to facilitate change uh, to in a sense tell our leaders how we want our countries to be how we want them to be run right and so the, the role that I think journalists play in that uh, you know is to inform right and to inform voters so that they can see the various sides to any issue, make a decision for themselves, and say to their government representatives or their candidates, hey, I've thought about this. Here's what I want. And if you are with me, you get my vote. And if you're not, you don't. And that stems from the job, I believe, that we do, right? We play the informing role in that. Here's what's going on out there, voters. Now you think about that and help decide in a democracy how the country ought to be run. Again, all of that is easier said than done, but baby steps, right? Like, do a little bit. Try to get some information out there. Make sure that you get a a variety of sides in your piece. Hope that people watch it, and then as a collective, when come voting day or whatever, maybe people who have been informed by what they've read can help change little things like Groups in Newtown, or big things like when when a, when a country goes uh, into into sort of voting booths on election day. It's it's all part of the same process, and it doesn't nothing's going to change overnight. No one story is going to change the world, but little by little, bit by bit. Uh, again, it's one of these things I deeply believe that an informed population is a powerful one, and that's how democracy works. And you get out there, you make your decisions, you cast your ballot, and let's hope things move forward. With every interview that we've had, we, we sometimes ask people, you know, we know these guys are, are females from, you know, either being journalists, musicians, report, or reporters, what, what not. What is something that you wish the people knew a little bit more about you besides, you know, the fact that you, you despise mixtapes going out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that it's, I mean... I joke about mixtapes. I used to love making mixtapes back when mixtapes were a thing. I love music, man. It's like, to me, it's a pretty intense gig, this, especially these days, uh, with uh, Trump, etc. I find it comforting and soothing to turn that noise off and turn on something beautiful, uh, something amazing, something inspiring, something that moves my heart something that makes me dream. And I think music does all of that. I, I, I think people who can create music are magical. And I think they can take us all to other places that, that are amazing. And I got a lot on my plate every day, and I'm very busy, and it's a lot of work. But when I can, I like to sort of dive into that world and just take a break. And I think that that makes me personally 
a better worker. <laughs> I come in with, with a cleansed mind, and it's just a way to relax and say, okay, there's more to this world than headlines. And then it makes me, it allows me to dive in harder when I'm telling a news story. It's kind of a beautiful mental break. That's the little secret about me. So there you there you have it, folks. So anytime you see Paul Hunter and he's doing like a, you know, a, a disastrous story or if he's just looking a little bit frustrated, just go up and talk to him about music. Put him at ease. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Paul Hunter for coming on the show. Remember... You can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, thanks for listening, and good night. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.